All right. How's everybody doing? Doing good? All righty. Thanks, worship team. Let's thank our worship team for how much practice and time and energy they put into this weekend. And I'm looking forward to this panel time, and we have some questions prepared, and we might have to... Uh, 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 Pastor Skelly uh, changed his flight, so we might uh, end it a little bit early. Um, but at the end, hopefully, we can maybe even take some questions um, from you guys. And and uh, really, this panel is is about uh, culture, leadership, ministry, worship, and uh, and uh, we've got a great panel up here. And you know, Pastor Skelly, of course, um, from last night and this morning. Uh, this is my sister Danielle Mord. Let's uh, welcome Danielle. Danielle and her husband Peter, they lead uh, New Life Baptist Church in Palmdale. And uh, my brother Larry Chapel, let's welcome Larry. He's the youth pastor at Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster. And then uh, Ryan Gass is the worship uh, leader at Coastline Baptist Church. Let's welcome Ryan. And Ryan is here because he has an amazing beard and he's representing uh, all of the, the bearded men this morning. And uh, so it, it is. Any secrets on a great beard, Ryan? Water it every day. All right. There you go. I'm not seeing you guys take notes. What type of beard oil do you use? Homemade. Homemade. Wow. All right. Going to have to share that recipe. Um, this first question, um, I want to kind of direct it towards uh, Pastor uh, Skelly. You've been a part of a church plant. You've traveled all over the world and seen church plants, and kind of more for our church family. And then also, we have some church planters in here this morning and some pastors. Um, what do we have to look forward to as the church, our churches grow and as we expand and kind of still in our infancy? Um, what would you say we have to look forward to in the coming years? Churches, churches have uh, life stages just like people do. And it, what I tell people, it's, it's like now that my kids are grown, um, I look back and say, but I wish I had not been pushing that next stage as much as that was. It's like, when, especially with your oldest child, you're always kind of like preparing them for the next stage. You, know, you want your child to be the best kindergartner and to, you want them to know, uh, memorize the dictionary by the time they get in because I want them to, you know, and, and looking back, I, I just wish I had savored the stages better. Um, and I said that, I've said that to my adult children, you know, my, my oldest son is now, they're having their third child, looks like it's going to be today. Um, but I said, savor the stages. You know, don't rush it. Right now, Rock Hill is in a stage. It's a stage of, of, of infancy. You know, you're, you're two years old, the terrible twos, you know. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's an energetic, vibrant time. Enjoy it. Yeah. Enjoy it. And understand that there are going uh, to be challenges and blessings in each stage. So what do you have to look forward to? Um, you're, there's going to be a benefit of permanence when you get your new building. That's going to bring a new level of responsibility and ownership. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. But there's also going to be um, there's also going to be challenges. Uh, I, I said to Pastor last night. I said sometimes, and so I'll just say this uh, because you might be in the room. Sometimes God will give you people at the beginning of your church that are. They're, 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 they're pioneer people, and they come in, and they're such a wonderful, vibrant help early on, and then you'll find that they'll start to, to taper away. Not because they're not right with God, but sometimes God uses people to start things that don't stay. And here's what I would say. Don't ever disesteem that. Never have the idea of, you know, where are they? Why did they leave? God brings people into life cycles and brings them out for certain reasons. You see that all throughout the book of Acts. God brings people in and out. So always keep a wide open back door. People leave, you know, hey, thank you for your service and thank you for helping. And what a blessing you are. And boy, you're always welcome here. And then when they leave, honor them, regardless of why they leave. And then when they come back, recognize them. And I don't know if that helps, but, yeah, but awesome. life yeah. stages. Yeah, that's awesome. That, that, that's so true. I want to talk a little bit about creativity within the church. We believe that the church should be a, a creative place uh, resembling our creator, God. Um, Larry, how do you think that we should strive to have a balance of having a creative culture but not 
letting the creativity uh, distract us from solid biblical content. So we want to make sure that we're putting forth biblical content in a creative way, but sometimes if we're not careful, we'll be so consumed with creativity and, and creating an environment that the truth gets minimized. How do we find that balance of, of creative culture? Um, that's a great question, and partially asked and answered too. But let me say to the last question real quick, um, what was exciting to me the few times I've been down here is to see all the children here at Rock Hill. Yes. And uh, we grew, we're all ministry kids here. Our dads are pastors. And so we got to grow up in church. And uh, we were able to see uh, God work in big ways, and we got a front row seat to it. And so if you're here and you're part of the Rock Hill team, and you've got one of the little ones in the room back there, uh, there's something special about that. That's so I just really I wanted to mention That's that real quick. Um, but I think exactly right. Uh, creativity isn't the goal. Um, and I think we can, uh, you said it in your question, our God is a creative God. Uh, you, you look at every su sunset is different. Uh, the sunrise this morning coming up from Lancaster. And so the, it's one of the first things we read about God, right? Genesis chapter number one. Yeah. And so I think that God created us to reflect his creative nature. Uh, but in the end, that's not the goal. It's a, it's a means to an end. It's a tool that God gave us to use. And, and where we go wrong is when we use that creativity to glorify ourselves yeah. rather than God. It yeah, should reflect back to God. I think that's where we go off the track. And um, I, I like to, uh, uh, you know, video uh, uh, things and film things and edit. And uh, I like the feedback and uh, it, it, it uh, pats my back and helps my ego, but at the end, that's not what it's about. Right. And so I know as, as kind of a creative individual, sometimes we create for that response, and we're so invested into that art, um, but in, in, especially in the church world, it's about giving God the glory. And yeah. so if we can make the message known through creativity, great, but that's not the end goal. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, that's so good. By the way, our conference trailer and opening video last night, Larry created. So that, that was pretty awesome. Um, hey, Matt, let me just say one thing yep, too, Lord because th here, here, this, is a, this is a good rubric for any church. I, mean, I love the creativity at Rock Hill. I love. I pay attention to details, and and you guys do a way better do job with with those elements than we do. You just you have it. You, it's it's how you're wired, and I love that. But I, I think one way that you can always balance creativity with content, which was your question, is always assess your time allocations. And what I love about Rock Hill is, man, great worship service, but. The, the, the majority, the lion's share of the time was still dedicated to the simple proclamation of God's word. Yeah, that's right. And so be careful, be careful always to do that, you know, because what you'll find in some churches is that, that will dominate, right. you know, and you'll have, you know, an hour of worship and then, okay, we got 10 minutes for the message. Right. So I love the fact that, so I think you've done a great job balancing that. Yeah, that's right. Keeping that balance. Um, Ryan is uh, a worship leader at, at Coastline and is involved in a lot of the uh, creative environments and culture. Uh, would you have anything to add to that? I know kind of going last is hard, but um, you know, one of the things I think I've I've tried to think about the last couple of years is um, the the relevance to your your current culture. So um, I think it's real important for us is is like when we're producing content or where we're thinking about something that we're doing in the service, it's reflective of our whole church dynamic. So it used, you know, coming from a white guy's perspective, it'd be real easy to produce material that had the white family on it that smiled and everybody's teeth were perfect and all those types of things and, and produce a front like that. But then if you were to look at our church, that's not how our, at all our church looks. That's not how Rock Hill looks. And so I think anything that you're trying to produce maybe through uh, the creative memes of maybe like social media or, or printed material, you're trying to express to your community what the culture is of your church and that creativity. And, uh, and at the same time, making sure it's, I think it, that it's balanced and it's true that you're not doing something that you are not yeah. really. Right. So when people yeah. show up, they're like, well, that's not what I thought I was, right. I was right. getting out yeah. of this. You know? Yeah, that's so good. Just being honest in that and being real. Um, kind of along these same lines, we want to make sure that we are uh, grounded in our convictions and we stand for truth, but also gracious in our conversation. Um, Danielle, how do you think that we should balance that, that, that tension between, yeah, we've got to stand for truth, but also we want to be nice to people and, uh, and uh, not elevating a preference to our standard of perfection? How do we find that balance of uh, being gracious, but also being grounded? 
There's an on button on that mic, uh, Danielle. We've only been here for 10 minutes. You could have checked that. I'm not sure what you've been doing over there. I could probably do it without the microphone, sadly. Um, I think for me, uh, okay, my name's Danielle, and when I was growing up, I did not like my name, and I did not like um, what my name meant. Can you tell them your middle name, though? No. Because you really don't (laughs) like your middle name. That's what the people really want to (laughs) hear. Later. So anyway, my name, um, when I, my, I had a friend, her name was Sarah, so when she looked up what her name meant, it was princess and, you know, flower, and my name, when I looked it up, was Daniel, uh, female version of Daniel, <laughs> God is my judge, you know, and so um, I didn't like that, but actually, I, the, the point of me telling you that is because to Matt's question, what has helped me personally, and I think what I've been taught is um, when it comes to holding true to your convictions but being gracious to other people is to remember that God is my judge and I'm not the judge of other people. Um, in the ministry con- context, you know, um, I need to make sure that I'm doing what God wants me to do. Um, and then if God, you know, be fully convinced in my own mind that this is what God wants for me and gracious to someone else who maybe is, is going to do it a little bit differently. I'm not sure if it was a ministry maybe related question, but even toward the lost, um, I think the biggest thing that we can do is show our love more than anything else. They'll know that we are disciples by our love. And I was even at lunch with a lady uh, a couple days ago who isn't saved, and we disagreed about scripture. And I just kept praying, Lord, help me to show her your love. Help me to be gracious so that when you reveal this to her, she's ready to receive it because I haven't pushed her away by proving that I had to be right in that moment. So I think love is a a big thing. Yeah, that's so good. Would you add anything to that? That is is so good. Because what what we're we're all you're all all of us are gonna we're all gonna change and things that you think that you're so strong on right now we're all every one of us in different areas of our life are gonna look back at our now life and say I was immature in that area and you're gonna you're gonna recognize at that moment that there were people right now in your life that could have just really stomped on you in that area of immaturity, but they're not doing it right now. They're being gracious to you. And then when you realize it, you're gonna appreciate them more. So right now in my life where I've grown in some areas, I look back and realize this person that I thought, I thought they were whatever, liberal. Now I I look back, I said, they were being gracious to me. Now now I realize that. So time is your friend. Time is your friend. And, and I love what Danielle just said. It's so true. Be gracious. And one day, your time is your friend. They'll look back and say, you know what? I pray for that lady that she will see it. And she'll look back and say, you know, she knew that at that moment. But she didn't stuff that down my throat. She loved me. And that's going to make her appreciate Danielle. But watch this. And the truth that much more. Yeah. So that's wonderful. Yeah, that, that's so good. The, the word worship means to ascribe worth, and uh, when it comes to our corporate worship in, in a church setting, uh, a lot of these questions are about balance, but um, Ryan, I want to hear your thoughts on how do we balance in, in worship spirit and truth, what Jesus talked about in John 4. Sometimes we're, we're truth people, and we're heavy on the truth, and we lack the spirit, and sometimes we're all spirit, and we minimize the truth, and, and either side of that is dangerous. How do we find that balance of worshiping in spirit and in truth? Um, I think for me, uh, being on staff at a church, it's, it's, um, I, I understand that I work for a pastor. I, we serve God, but I, I serve our pastor. And uh, I'm always really careful um, to make sure that I have his heart first because at the end of the day, he'll stand before God and give an account for the church, not, not Ryan to that extent. And so I think um, I want to have the heart of God in that. And so I've got to be, as, as Brother Skelly was talking about earlier, my heart needs to be right with God. I need to make sure that I am, I am receiving as much as, as what I'm giving. But I also understand that uh, in my p- particular position, not everybody's necessarily like this, but um, I serve under a pastor. So I want to make sure I have his heart because he has the heartbeat of God for that overall church. And so I want to make sure my, my version of truth and, and, and spirit and truth is the same version of his truth and spirit, you know? And like you said, that grows. Um, it's grown at our church. And we think about uh, even God in the creative process. God didn't just make one season. He didn't just make summer. He didn't just make winter. Things are always changing, you know, to a degree. And I think uh, uh, in a healthy church, you know, Rock Hill is going to look completely different in 15 years than what it does now in a lot of capacities, you know? And so I think to have that heart and willingness to be open to how God would direct you in that spirit and truth. Um, the great thing about truth is it doesn't change. Right, truth right. is always the same. That's good. But I think um, our ability to learn about the truth and to be able to apply it 
again, to what Pastor Skelly said earlier, the more you get to know about Jesus, there becomes a deeper appreciation for the truth that is already in the scripture. You're just learning to unpack it. And then the spirit side of things, I, you know, I think that uh, sometimes that is often missed. And I want to be the, tri- the type of leader in my church. Honestly, God's been working my heart on a personal level as a man who has kids um, that they'll see that, that they'll learn. Uh, tomorrow night I'm preaching at, at, at Coastline. And there's that passage in, in um, I believe it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, basically God does this amazing victory for the people of Judah. Yep. But just before that, there's this choir that sings. And they praise God for the victory that it's already going to happen. Mm-hmm. But in verse 13, it says that the men stood there uh, before God with their children, their wives, and their little ones. Yeah. And I just thought about the impact that we have on future generations. I can't expect people to to worship in spirit if I'm not doing it publicly and if I'm not doing it privately. So I think we've really got to bring that together um, more so in the private aspect of our life than even in the public scenario. Yeah, that goes good. And that ties exactly what we were talking about this morning and and, and making sure that we're sitting before serving and sitting leads to greater serving. Would you add anything to that, Pastor Skelly, about the, the balance of worshiping in spirit and in truth? Every churches are like people, so we don't expect people to be the same. You know, some people people have different personalities. That's why we. That's what makes the world go round. Churches have personalities, so spirit. Don't don't judge spirit by a a personality. You know, I've been in churches that are extremely more conservative in application than Rock Hill that have a great spirit. Um, it's not so much what style you choose or what preferences you exhibit. It's really about the heart. Yeah. You know, so truth without spirit is dry orthodoxy. Yeah. You know, spirit without truth is just, um, you, know, e- you know, emotionalism. And so truth governs spirit. Okay, but they're both essential. That's what yeah. God's looking for. Yeah, I love that. Truth comes first. First, truth governs spirit. That that that's so good. There's a lot of talk um, with ministry leaders about contextualization and, and adaptation to the culture and becoming like the culture to reach the culture. And uh, we we see that you know Jesus was was missional in, in that sense. Um, Larry, how do we find that balance of of infiltrating the culture um, versus isolating from the culture? It's just you know us four no more, and we're going to kind of huddle up and not reach out to anyone. But then at the same time, not becoming so much like the world that we get lost, lost in it. How do we find that balance of, of contextualization? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll start with the last question to give me time to think of my answer for this question. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, on the last question, I was just going to say that Jonah would be an example of someone that had uh, good theology and bad heart. Yeah, that's true. And uh, when Jesus was on uh, talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, she was asking, where do we worship? You know, this mountain or that mountain? And that's not what it was about. Kind of like what Pastor Skelly was saying. It's not about a style, this or that. Um, so that was, that was my thought to buy me some time for this next question. Um, so contextualization. Uh, Matt and I, we like to talk ministry stuff. And sometimes there's buzz, buzzwords. There seems like there's a different buzzword that everyone's talking about, um, you know, month to month. Uh, it's kind of a newer word, but it's not a newer concept. Um, one of the things that I read... Uh, uh, a few months back was, it's not a matter of if you'll contextualize, it's a matter of if you'll contextualize well. Right. Uh, but there is, and Jesus did that, uh, all of our ministries contextualize. Um, uh, but there are dangers in, in both directions. Uh, it's a directional challenge. So if you uh, over-contextualize, you lose uh, clarity and distinction in your message. If you under-contextualize, you lose connection. You never make that connection. And only, uh, only the Holy Spirit can bring a balance uh, to that. Yeah, that's good. Danielle, any thoughts on that? All right, that, that was good. Hey, let, let me just say this about culture because people get jazzed up about it. 
you know, culture is simply the shared norms and behaviors of a subset of people. So there's culture within a country, there's culture within a region, the culture of Virginia is gonna be different than the culture of Southern California. There's a culture, there are subcultures within churches, there's a culture to Rock Hill, there's a culture to Faith Baptist, there's a culture to Coastline. So culture is just the shared beliefs and norms of a subset of people. But when it comes to culture, when we talk about American culture, um, three things you want to keep in mind. Number one, there are some aspects to culture that are good and ought to be celebrated. Okay, for instance, culturally in our country, there is a, a move in the last 15, 20 years toward an awareness of homelessness. That's a good thing, right? The church ought to be on the cutting edge of that. There's been a, a, a surge toward disaster relief. You know, back when I was a young child, it was kind of like, all right, you had a hurricane, bummer. You know, hope it works out for you. Uh, now it's like we, 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 we jump on it. Listen, the church ought to celebrate that. Yeah. You know, we ought to celebrate that. So some things in culture are good and ought to be celebrated. Some things in culture are wrong and ought to be repudiated. Okay, so when culture is saying that we ought to redefine gender, we need to lovingly stand for truth. Yeah. And explain and talk through those, have those conversations. We not we don't need a cave. So there are some parts of culture that need to be repudiated. But here's the part that we miss. Most of culture is neutral. Most of culture is not right or wrong. It's kind of like if I go to Asia and I go into a home, I'm gonna take off my shoes. Now you come to my house, keep your shoes on. I don't care. But if I go to my daughter-in-law's house, who's you know Filipino, I take my shoes off. Okay, I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna go in and say, "Well, there's nothing in the Bible about keeping taking your shoes off in the house." So, bless God, I'm gonna. And that's the way we are. We we take neutral aspects of culture. See what we understand in our missiology, we don't understand in our ecclesiology. If I go to a foreign country, I'm not gonna try to Americanize them. I'm gonna figure out their culture and and try to be their culture as much as I can. I preach in India. Ladies on this side, men on this side, sit on the floor. We're gonna just do it. I'm gonna try to make them American. And so what I would say is our problem is we, we unwittingly uh, don't celebrate what's good. So they, they see us as, as island people that, that, don't, that don't connect. Uh, then we only repudiate what's bad, and we even repudiate what's neutral because it's not us. Yeah. So just kind of understand a little bit more about culture, and I think we would be more accepted uh, to the people groups that we're reaching. Yeah, that's good. I wanted to ask you this, this, this question, Pastor Skelly. There's, a, there's been a lot of talk for a long time in secular culture about uh, the Bible and the validity of the Bible and especially attacking the Old Testament and some of the oddities of the, the cultural environment of the Old Testament. And uh, now it seems like in the church there's a minimization of uh, the Old Testament and trying to uh, minimize uh, the Old Testament over the New Testament and, uh, and the application of that. And so when we're reading the Bible and we're reading the Old Testament and when we're preaching the Old Testament, how do we kind of find distinctions of what is applicable for today, um, what is prescriptive, what is descriptive? How, how do we study the Old Testament? And, and I mean, we know that all, all Scripture is inspired, so, so we know that, but... How do we explain to a lost person that is questioning the moral uh, attributes of the Old Testament? Um, how do we explain that to, to people in our culture today? I think uh, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And so you always want to take a New Testament lens when you look at the Old Testament to say, we have God's complete revelation. You know, we can look back and say, what did people know at that time? You know, so what one of the the keys to Bible hermeneutics is to enter into the time frame of the, uh, the, the author and the audience and to say that God revealed himself progressively throughout the word of God over time. And for that reason, God held different people accountable uh, at different levels at that time. You know, what we want to do is we want to go back to the Old Testament and make people have a Bible on their nightstand and help them understand the cross. And, you know, I'm looking, I'm getting saved because I'm looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. But what people knew and, and, and back then is, is, was just so minimalistic. And so the times of this ignorance God winked at. Uh, so there, there, there was a different level of scrutiny. God is my judge, a different level of. So I try to help people to say, listen, 
I don't answer for, I don't entirely know all that they knew. All I know is this, this is how God has progressively revealed himself in scripture. And the ultimate revelation of God is the express image of his son, the Lord Jesus. And so that's the lens through which I look at the Old Testament. Um, I can't answer for what they didn't know. Um, So sometimes people will say to me, well, I can't accept salvation because, you know, it's not available. What about this person in Africa that's never heard? And I said, well, if I gave you a million dollars today, you know, would you accept it? They said, well, well, yeah. Well, why wouldn't you say, well, if it's not available to a person in Africa, you don't know what's available. I don't know what God's revealed to a person in Africa. I don't know what light he has. I can't answer for that. Are there questions I can't answer? Of course. Are there, are there you know, mental roadblocks that I have about what people know and don't know in the Old Testament or even today? In a, in a Buddhist country where this child has grown up and never one, one time heard the name of Jesus, does that bother me? Yes. But I can't answer for what people know or don't know. All I can answer is for how truth has been served to me. And so when I talk to people like that, I just said, okay, let's center on how is truth being served to you right now? You know, not what did people know or not know when they were coming from Egypt to the promised land or, you know, what the Canaanite knew when, I don't know. You know, I try to help them understand God revealed himself progressively, but these are questions I struggle with as well. Uh, some good resources, by the way. Um, Walter Kaiser does a really good job on Old Testament difficult situations. Uh, Robbie Zacharias has some great, um, uh, just, if you'll just search Old Testament, you know, problem passages. There, there, so any given passage, there are some, some really good resources available, but I don't pretend to have all those answers. That's good. Larry, Larry, how would you uh, answer that question of, of helping someone preach or um, understand the Old Testament? Um, I think all that is, uh, is really helpful. I, I, I do think, because I hear sometimes talk about, uh, you know, really emphasizing the resurrection, and I think that's awesome as, from an apologetic standpoint, uh, because the evidences surrounding the re- resurrection are awesome. So I don't, I don't have any problem leading with that. Um, as long as it doesn't discount the Old Testament, because to me, what is, what is uh, uh, Jesus' death on the cross uh, without the Old Testament? How do you understand the sacrificial lamb without the Old Testament? Yeah. Um, the, the New Testament quotes the Old Testament over 850 times, and so they're, they're intertwined. And you, you go to Galatians chapter 3, and you see, you, you know, that the, the purpose of that, it was a... It was a uh, schoolmaster yep. and so we see the purpose of it and so they they don't serve the same purposes but it's it's the same and so uh, you can't have the benefit of one without the other yeah that's so good and i think there's a helpful distinction to to make between the ceremonial law the moral law the civil law of the time because sometimes people will come to me and say well it says don't eat shellfish and don't don't do this and so to make that distinction is sure. is very important uh in the old testament as well uh danielle how do we uh, as churches and church leaders and members and, and uh, attenders of our church, how do we reach um, a younger generation uh, without alienating uh, an older generation and uh, trying to find that harmony between the both? Okay, well, I think some of the men up here might be able to answer that even a little bit better just from there. We need to hear from you. Okay, right. <laughs> um, I personally, I feel like even reaching uh, women and working within the church myself, that Keeping a focus on the Word of God is um, the most important, and I know that sounds a little bit cliche, but even when you look at women's ministry, all ministry in the book of Acts, you see a lot of people who are uh, working together, serving together, celebrating together, grieving together, just doing life together, but the one common thread throughout all of them is that they're doing it centered around the Word of God, and so I think for me, uh, even just recently, a lady in our church asked if she could go to lunch with me, and I said sure, and before she would talk to me, she asked me how old I was because she wanted to make sure, you know, I, I could help her, I guess. And I was able to not focus so much on the age difference between us, but just focus on the word of God because it's not what I say, it's what the Bible says. So I think that could go, you know, both ways. Um, I may not be, you know, as cool as, you know, someone else in the church from that standpoint, but if we can find um, that the, the truth of God's word will unify us and bring us together, and that's the core um, on all levels, um, even in um, like ministry to moms and uh, just across the board. If, if the word of God is the central focus and if that's what we can agree on, then I think um, 
I think that is, uh, you, you have no regrets. You know, even I could plan a ladies' event and I'm not going to have all the options, you know, the gluten-free options and this to make this group of people happy and this to make this group of people happy. But um, if we can come then around the word of God, then I think we can find the connection and unity that crosses generational barriers. That's good. Focusing first on what we do agree on and uh, centering around God's word and the gospel. That's good. Ryan, you have a lot of family in ministry and growing up in ministry, pastor's home. How, how would you answer that question of, trying to reach the younger generation, not alienating an older, older generation? So I think you're never going to please everybody all of the time. We, we realize that. Um, I think personally, you want to always make sure that you've got friends on both sides or else you're only going to be influenced one way or the other. Um, again, looking at your, your, your church dynamic, uh, kind of going back to talking about working for somebody and you want to make sure you've got their heart. I also try to do my best to look at how we have a how, how God has, because he builds the church, right? God builds the church. So he's sent the number of elderly people. He's sent the number of younger people that he wants in our church. And we continue to, to just, just follow his will with that. But knowing that I see those demographics, um, even in the worship and, and sometimes in the way that we would produce materials, um, we want to make sure that it's good for both for both groups. And so like you guys did that this morning, right? You sang a couple uh, newer songs and then a throwback to how great thou art or uh, how great is our God, right? Uh, in our in our scenario it may be how how great thou art or or whatever. And I may look across my goal at leading worship in in sometimes those scenarios as I look to look at somebody over here in in their mid 20s, a young family and then look over at an older couple who's shedding a tear because they're singing it as well, and this group is, and, and, and then we flip it, and it's a different scenario, but they're both being ministered to, and I think if you, can, if you can minister and do your best to plan those types of things without marginalizing a particular group, um, but it, I think it is something that does not happen by accident. There is intentional with that, even if it means increasing the font in our bulletins <laughs> so people can read it as, uh, as they get older. That's, that's super important. What's a bulletin? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. That's good. Would you add anything to that, Pastor Kelly? You know, so much of that responsibility, it, it goes back to what Ryan just said, and that's intentionality. You know, age-specific and gender-specific ministry is not a new challenge. This is not a new challenge. This was a New Testament challenge. And so when Paul was instructing Titus about the founding of churches on the island of Crete, he, he said, you know, you need to have these effective pastors that can unashamedly preach the truth, that have vetted character. But the very first responsibility he gave those pastors was to specifically deal with the ages and the genders. So to the old men, I want you to really emphasize this. And to the older women, here are some points of emphasis that you really need to hone in on and, and develop a relational uh, ministry with these older women and these younger women. And then those young men, tell them to be serious about following God. And then you, Titus, you're a younger man. You live it. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. So I think as a pastor, we, you know, and especially as a young pastor, you have to look at, and that's who Titus was. You have to live there in Titus too to say, okay, here's what God specifically told me to emphasize among older men. Here's what God told me to emphasize with older women. Here, here's what I really need to emphasize with young women, and here's what I need to be for my fellow young men. And I think if we pastors would be more intentional about it, uh, I think that would be, uh, go a long way toward fertilizing. That's good. Yeah, we have that biblical pattern. That, that, that's so good. Um, kind of a, a couple of questions just uh, generically on leadership. I think um, leadership is influence, and all of us are leaders in some capacity, leading at home, leading in our families, leading at work. Um, Pastor Skelly, what do you think are some of, uh, maybe in a ministry context, some of the challenges facing younger leaders today that are kind of coming up? Um, what are some of the challenges that you see? I mean, just the explosion of, of, of culture. We're living in a, a uh, kind of a post-Christian world. You're having to deal with, you know, back when I entered ministry, we were dealing with things like, what is, what is a family? You know, and then as, as I grew in ministry, it was like, what is a marriage? You know, then, then now it's like, what is a person? And so now you're dealing with a generation of people that have been raised uh, absent those biblical absolutes. So your, your starting point as a younger pastor is different than my starting point. 
Okay, my starting point was I started with the Bible. You know, you can't even start there. That's yeah. so foreign to people. You know, so back to Danielle's point is, you know, establishing those relationships first. You know, that 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 commitment of I'm, I'm, I love you, I'm connected to you, and then just patience and lovingly bringing people along. I mean, uh, you would be able to answer that question better than I, but I pray for this next generation of pastors because your challenges are n not insurmountable with the help of the Lord, obviously, but they're certainly not my challenges. You, you've got a mountain to climb. Larry, anything to add on that one? Um, I read a while ago that there's uh, pre-Christian culture of some, some places that have not been reached to the gospel that's still a pre-Christian culture. And there's Christian cultures and there's post-Christian culture. And one of the problems with post-Christian culture is that it defines itself against Christianity mm. in that they want the values, right? Like justice, that's a biblical yeah. New Testament value. They want the values, they want the king. They want the kingdom without the king uh, is, is, is what they want. And so I think what Pastor Scully said was right. I think a couple years ago, the word of the year was post-truth. And so it's just kind of interesting times that we're living in. And then you, you couple that with this, uh, there's just this culture of offense today. Yeah. And the offense is the trump card. So when you're trying to communicate the truth in love um, and someone's offended, game over. Because right. it doesn't matter. It, the truth doesn't matter. It's out the window at that point. Uh, you lost. I won. I'm offended. And so I think that's definitely going to be a challenge that, that we're going to have to navigate in, in the next few years for sure. Yeah. Danielle, anything? Um, maybe slightly different than what was mentioned is just maybe more on the front lines, I think, comparison with social media and, and even just serving together yeah. in a church. Sometimes we can look at how the Lord is using other people's, what Pastor Skelly spoke about this morning, and maybe struggle with uh, the position he's put us in and how he's called us to lead. I think of... Um, Miriam in scripture, you know, the Lord raised her up with her brothers to lead the children of Israel. She was the first woman prophet. She was the first woman to lead on a patriotic mission. She was the, the first woman singer in scripture, a lot of firsts as a leader. Um, but after they crossed the Red Sea, you know, she got frustrated with Moses and said, has the Lord just spoken only through Moses? You know, she didn't like yeah. her position in leadership because she was comparing to how, to how God was using someone on her same team. So I, I kind of have studied that myself personally just to keep myself in check. Like, however God wants to use them is great. Um, Lord, help me to stay in my lane and do what you've called me to do and stay secure in the position, in you first, and then in the position you've called me to fulfill. That, that's so good, um, the comparison trap. Ryan, would you add anything to that? Um, I think two things. Uh, number one, authority. I think uh, we live in a culture where authority has done so many things wrong. Uh, if in the context of politics, in the context of church, everybody, there's just a natural untrust of authority. And so we're all talking about leadership, and with leadership comes authority. And I would say just the moral integrity of any leader, any authority has to always just rise to the surface. And I think it has to, you almost have to go overboard to make sure that your integrity is, is what it should be, um, biblically speaking, but just so that, that people can trust you. Because I think uh, every weekend people come to church and, and why should I listen to you? And if, yeah. if, they don't, if they don't respect the authorities in their life, they're not going to respect the authority of God, which is really kind of the, the, the issue there. And then I think um, an aspect w within our culture right now is, is education. And uh, within a few minutes, any of us can be a doctor if we Google something, right? Like we think <laughs> we're educated that way. Um, and I think everybody... I mean, we, I think as a culture, are smarter in many ways, but there's this false perception of really what our education is, that we can know a lot of facts, but they don't really necessarily impact our life. And kind of going back to the question of, of uh, faith, um, I think there is that part of us that always wants to be ready to give an account, but there also should be a part of us that's so comfortable saying, I don't know, right. and, and I don't have to have the answers. Right. If I did, how much of this would be faith? you know, at, at the same time. So just being able to express that to somebody and being okay with saying, hey, let me get back to you um, and, and not feel, there's tons of stuff that they don't know either, yeah. truth be told, so. Yeah, yeah that's good. And uh, last question on, on leadership, and then uh, maybe we'll open it up if anybody has any questions. Um, maybe this, everybody could kind of answer this a little bit differently, but what would you say to someone um, that's stepping into a leadership position, even outside of ministry, um, what, what advice would you give someone stepping into leadership for the first time? I mean, I think Ryan kind of just answered that um, from the standpoint of 
you know, be, be authentic, uh, be transparent. Um, you know, when I became, uh, but, but embrace your role too. So I think one of the, one of the, the mistakes that an early leader makes is to assume that consensus is leadership. You know, understand what I mean by consensus? In other words, I've got to get everybody to agree. You know, and my job is to get everybody to agree. And if I get everyone to agree and then we'll move forward, I've led. But sometimes consensus is not leadership. Sometimes consensus is the absence of leadership. Yeah. So it's a willingness to embrace the role that God has given me and to do what's right that I know that's right before him and then the discernment of what matters and what doesn't matter. You know, what, what, so if I, if I have to have my way in everything, that's not leadership, that's just selfishness. You know, but if I'm leading in areas where I know God is, is wanting me to lead and no one's with me, but I know this is what God wants, then I'm exercising leadership. So really, I, I think I'd go back to authenticity, transparency, what Ryan said, but then just that a call to leadership is a call to know God more, you know, and to build that relationship and have confidence that I'm following him and doing what he wants me to do. Yeah, that's good. Danielle, anything? Um, a little hard to follow that. That was awesome. But also maybe just to know your spiritual gift. And as you embrace your role, to make sure you know how the Lord's gifted you specifically to fulfill that role. Um, and then along the lines of fulfilling roles, even um, like Deborah in scripture, she was another woman who, uh, she was a military leader. Um, she was a judge, the fourth judge of Israel. She fulfilled a lot of roles, but she called herself a mother. She saw herself fulfilling that role as an, um, in a unique way. Um, so I think just embracing uh, who God created you to be, the gifts he's given you, and then the role he's put you in can just give you that confidence to um, go forward in what he's has called. Yeah, that's awesome. Larry? Uh, one of the things that God has taught me the last uh, few years is just to uh, be open to feedback, criticism, and even invite it into your life. Um, we all sometimes get our feathers ruffled by people that are just brutally honest. Um, maybe you're one of those people. Uh, but... Uh, there's a difference between brutal honesty and just uh, uh, being candid. And what being candid is, is mean you've been given permission to give feedback. And so what I've tried to do lately is ask uh, people to be candid with me. I'm inviting their feedback and kind of let the walls down. And um, I've got, in doing that, I've gotten some good feedback. And sometimes as a leader, you th you lead in a vacuum sometimes if you're not talking to people yes. and getting feedback. And so uh, in our youth ministry, I, I, I did this with our youth leaders and things that I thought they loved, they hated. <laughs> and some of the little things that I didn't think mattered, they loved. And so, uh, but I didn't learn those things until I started. I gave them permission to give me feedback and didn't get offended by what I heard. And so I think that's a good thing to do is invite people, accountability uh, to come and speak into your life and give them permission to do so. Yeah, that's good. There's definitely an art to receiving correction, to receiving feedback, and how you uh, do that will really determine your potential and how far you can go as a leader. Um, Ryan, anything? Um, I think real simply, just look behind you. And uh, depending on, on how fresh the season is that you've stepped into that role of leadership, um, you should be able to figure out pretty quickly if, if people are on board with your leadership. And I think getting you know criticism from other leaders above you, that is um, hopefully going to be more constructive than just critical. Um, and I think we all have people in our life that we know if I go to that person, they're going to they're just going to hurt my feelings. But if I go to this person, they're going to do it in love to make sure those are the people that you're spending most of your time with. Uh, but to look behind you and, and to see in this, in this, uh, progress of your leadership, are people, are they, are they really following you? Are they following you? Sometimes you can get handed a position of leadership and it kind of forces, like we're in a military community, so you got a rank and people just have to follow the rank. Right. Um, but I think practically speaking, you want, you want people to follow you because they're on board with you. They, they love you. And I think some of the way that you can express that is to not forget to care for them. Um, and if that's notes, if, that, if that's uh, coffees, if that's calls, texts, whatever, that you're, cons you're constantly caring for the people that you lead. Um, you know, there's that story where... Uh, David and, and his men, they had all their stuff taken, and he left some people by the stuff. And, and they went and they came back, and, and a bunch of the guys decided they didn't want to share the spoils. And David cared for those men because they knew that there was equal sacrifice across the board. And I think when you can really demonstrate um, the care for, for those that you lead, God willing, 
those that you lead, there's going to rise up some leaders out of that crew that gets it. And that's not in a whole process that's going to be fresh for them because they'll have seen it in your own life. That's good. Yeah, that, that, that's really good. And uh, that's awesome. We have a few minutes left. And so I'd like to just open it up if anybody has a question about culture, leadership, maybe ministry. I know we have a lot of ministry leaders in here this morning. And uh, don't be shy. Anybody have a question this morning, maybe for Pastor Skelly on, on, on church leadership or uh, just ministry or culture in, in general? I might just start calling out names, so just get ready. Yeah. Um, I guess my question is for you. Um, what's been the hardest part of starting Rockfield so far? What's been the toughest thing for you? I think trying to find the balance of being content with where God has us, knowing where I believe God wants to take us. And uh, we constantly want to dream big, and we want to, you know, God to do miracles, and we want to be a part of a movement. But um, trying to have that, that he healthy discontentment of where God has us, but knowing we don't want to be so focused on the future that we miss out on the now. And uh, in, in our uh, workspace, we have a big sign that says, these are the days. And uh, we don't want to forget that God is doing something special now and uh, preparing us for something greater. And so I think, I, I think that that has been a difficulty. I mean, there's other struggles as well. Um, but, but trying to keep that healthy discontentment um, is a struggle. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I would say don't get so wrapped up into a program uh, that, be, that because it'll become mechanical too, too quickly. I think a, a, my, my advice to a new Christian, and, and everyone's different, but my advice would be take a book of the Bible, like so let's say the book of John or the book of First, First Thessalonians. I take a New Testament book, and what I'd encourage you to do is slow down, take out a pen, keep a journal, and, and saturate yourself with the Word of God. Don't be so concerned about getting four chapters in. Don't be so, so concerned about getting 20 minutes in. You know, just let God speak to you. And start, start with prayer. Don't start with Bible reading. Start with prayer. You know, because God will prepare you. And ask God to open your eyes and show you things out of His Word uh, that he, you would not and could not have otherwise seen. And then saturate. You know, so if I'm going to read the book of John, I'm going to read it for a month. And I might get through it five times. I might get through it 30 times. I might get through it one time. You know, but I'm going to slow down. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to ask God to give me a takeaway every day. I'm going to write down, God, this is what you taught me today. This is my takeaway today. And let God do in those moments what God can do. And don't you tell God what he can do. You know, by saying, I've got to get through this. I've got to spend this much time. I've got to get this many chapters. You know, let it be that organic God speaking to you time. That's awesome. Yes, Seth. Danielle, I believe that was directed to you. <laughs> I don't. Uh, we we give a spiritual gifts test as part of like our growth steps class, you know, at the end. And then um, I think a lot of times, just when you engage with people who are getting ready to serve or who have a desire to serve, just asking them, you know, questions. As you get to know them, you can kind of help them identify what their spiritual gift is. If they, you know, have the, you know, if they tend to be more compassionate or have the gift of giving, you can kind of pick up on that as you get to know people and then um, giving them lots of opportunities like, oh man, you might be able to do, you know, yeah, here are good. these five things, you know, and then letting them kind of pick from there. So. Yeah, that's good. I think that's good. That's what we do with our, our teens, uh, inter, you know, as an exit the youth group, we want them serving, plugged in and involved, but uh, sometimes they bounce around a little bit until they find out what it is that they really like. And at first, that frustrated me because, like, why aren't you in that ministry? But they're in another. They're serving in another capacity. So I'm just glad that they're serving. And sometimes it takes a couple to know uh, this is this is what I was meant for. 
And spiritual gifts are for people. God gives us spiritual gifts to help in serving people. So a lot of times you won't know your spiritual gift until you get into an area of service. And it's wise for the leader to tell people not to assign positions, but to give people temporary responsibility. But let's try this for a while. Let's let's try you That's in good. this ministry for a while. There's no and, and don't don't make it a position because spiritual gifts are recognized as we serve, as we serve. And it, it'll become apparent to the people with whom you serve. And you most generally can learn your spiritual gift by the way you react. You you learn your your, your knee jerk reactions to situations are good indicators of your spiritual gift. So uh, I, I agree with both, with both of what Danielle and, and Larry said, and that is just jump in, get involved, pay attention to mature believers. You'll, you, it, it, it'll emerge. It'll become clear. That, that's good. As we're answering that question, I'm looking over at John, John Gardner, who plays our cajon drum, who did an amazing job. And uh, John uh, never had played that cajon drum, drum in his life, and we didn't have a player, and we said, John might be able to do it. And uh, he kind of jumped in, and, and, uh, and uh, now he does an amazing job. And so I think showing the, yeah, sh showing the initiative... And uh, I think asking counsel and studying Romans 12 also, also is key. Any other uh, questions this morning? We've got time for maybe one more. Zach? I guess my question is to uh, Pastor Skelly. Last night in your message, you talked about the fact that you don't want the church to be this group of islanders who would go over into the mainland and then come back. And uh, while we know we're called to be light in the midst of darkness and have a distinct distinction in our Christian culture, what are some practical ways that we can maintain that distinction No, I do understand what you're saying. I think, I think it starts with emphasizing what are the distinguishing marks. Because I think what we've done in modern ministry is we've redefined what distinction is. So we've redefined distinction. So, then, so what happens then, our criticism is, well, you're no longer distinct. Because we've redefined it, and now we, we don't embrace the redefinition, and so you're not distinct. So you have to look at what are Bible distinctions of believers. And Bible distinctions of believers are things like the ability to take a wrong and, and not become embittered. The ability to love people that are not like you. The ability to maintain a gracious demeanor or, or to forgive. Or to, so, those are, so I think it starts with local churches emphasizing what are Bible distinctives. And then encouraging people to be grace-filled believers that will not compromise on Bible distinctives. And so in the workplace environment, don't, be, don't engage in the criticism, okay? When you're done wrong, extend that forgiveness. You are showing the distinctiveness of a believer. You are embracing high standards. So let's take back, as local churches, let's take back what distinctives are important and then emphasize those as the Bible uh, markers. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah, that's so good. That's awesome. Man, it's already been an awesome morning, and uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion. Thank you guys so much. Let's thank our panel this morning, and uh, that was awesome. And uh, we're going to close out this time. We're going to sing a song, but I want to encourage you. We're going to continue the conversation, and uh, we're having a ministry leader conversation at 145 today uh, in these back rooms. And even if you're not, if you wouldn't consider yourself in full-time ministry, hey, you're still invited to come, and uh, we want to invite you to come to that. We're going to hear from Pastor Steve Chapel and uh, Peter Morden. and we're going to have some uh, continuation of the, the question and answers, and so I want to invite you to that. Uh, but this morning, let's all stand together, and uh, we're going to continue on. We're going to sing a couple of songs, and...